Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Will you pray with me, friends? Gracious God, speak through me and despite me so that your people and all people might know how great your name is. Amen. read an article about a newly married couple. They'd resolved to live their life without the religion of their families. They thought it would make things better for all. When they had their first child, the formerly Muslim husband asked the formerly Jewish wife, we're going to bury the cord and the placenta, aren't we? She looked at him like he'd grown a second head. That's a common practice in some parts of the Islamic world, to bury these precious means of life. So every Muslim walks around knowing part of them is already buried. I like it, and I'm jealous of it. Our techie age wants to save the umbilical cord for future stem cell use. Our body allergic age just thinks, gross medical waste. But our Muslim neighbors see these things as intimately connected to life, and so worthy of a dignified burial. The husband didn't realize this was an Islamic practice. He thought all right-thinking people just did this. And as the wife thought about it, she came to like the idea. See, it's really, really hard to leave faith behind altogether because eventually you fall in love and want to get married or you wonder if this calling to your work is something outside yourself or we get sick or we face death. What do these transitions in life mean? And do you really expect to come up with better meaning on your own than faith communities have for millennia. We're starting a new sermon series today on texts we normally ignore. We preachers want something uplifting. So do you churchgoers. So do non-churchgoers. But not everything in our scripture is that way. So we usually ignore those bits. In this series, we're diving right in without a life jacket. It's good to sit with a text and just not know what it means. Or to know what it means and not like it. Sometimes you have to love a biblical text as an enemy rather than as a friend. And often you come across Bible verses that you wouldn't want to put in needlepoint, that you wouldn't want to see on a cat poster at the dentist's office. You can do it, that you wouldn't want your grandchild to bump into in the family Bible or you would blush. And all of that's okay. We don't worship the Bible, we worship God, who gives us the Bible as a gift. But the Bible's not always clear or edifying. In fact, a proper engagement with the Bible will likely leave us more baffled than we were before. I mean, it's God we're talking about. Who's ever understood God? Take the story you heard earlier from Chris. It's an emergency circumcision. 
Hard to imagine why you'd need a circumcision on the double quick, but there we are. In Exodus, God has already summoned Moses to be his mouthpiece. Moses has objected, I don't talk good. God has relented, take Aaron, he talks gooder. Moses leaves Midian and brings his Midianite wife, Zipporah, and their son, Gershom, with him to go to Egypt. And he's jumped in the middle of the night. Exodus says the Lord met him and intended to kill him. Not very nice of God, but there we are. Now, this is not unprecedented. There are other stories of a hero in our faith being jumped in the night. Jacob sleeps by the river Jabbok, and he's awakened by a man who wrestles with all night. He wins, but the attacker, maybe an angel, puts his hip out of joint. Jacob is a wounded patriarch, limping the rest of his life from this encounter with God. Or if you prefer your mythology from a galaxy far, far away, Luke Skywalker in The Empire Strikes Back on the planet Dagobah sees a cave that's cold. Yoda tells him, go in without your weapons. Luke takes his weapons and goes and sees his worst enemy, Darth Vader. They fight, Luke wins, but it turns out the face behind that hideous mask is Luke's own face. He's faced his worst fear, succeeded, but failed in the success because his worst enemy is actually himself. There is something about coming of age that has to include facing fear and death, realizing part of us is already in the ground, living with a blessed limp. Good for Moses, he's married well, and that saves his life. His wife Zipporah might be from a foreign people, a different religion, but she knows the right thing to do in a crisis. She finds a sharp flint, turns out to be handy with a blade, and so she circumcises him. Which him? Moses? Gershom? It's not clear. The Hebrew doesn't say. All indefinite pronouns Zipporah touches his feet with the bloody foreskin and says, truly you are a bridegroom of blood to me, and God leaves them be. Now that's a lot of action in three short verses and not a lot of clarity. So let's see if we can wrestle a blessing out of this passage. First, Moses has a habit of being saved by clever, faithful women. Moses would have never even gotten born if the Hebrew midwives hadn't disobeyed Pharaoh and let the babies be born. Then Moses' mother sets him afloat on a basket in the Nile, and his sister follows the basket downriver to get to Pharaoh's daughter. That's three more brave Pharaoh-defying women. And here, on his way to face Pharaoh, Moses' wife saves him from God. That's six saving women in four short chapters of Exodus. Some use lies, some use the Nile River, some use a sharp rock. Exodus is a girl power book. And in the Bible, sometimes the Savior needs saving. 
Without these brave women, there'd be no exodus, no freedom from slavery, just forced labor and death. Just like without Mary, there'd be no Jesus. It's funny that some say that women shouldn't lead or speak in church. We would have no church at all without these brave, outspoken women and countless others. No Moses without Zipporah, Miriam, Shipra, Pua, and many others whose names are known only to God. Now, I built this sermon with help from a scholar in California named Carmen Imes. She comes from a tradition that doesn't ordain women. But she read her Bible carefully in Hebrew, and she said, hmm, looks like we have no faith, no Bible, no God without women leading and speaking. So I'm with the sisters in Scripture. And now she's at Biola University teaching a new generation of evangelical women a way out of misogyny by reading the Bible better. Back in Genesis, God told Abraham he would make a sign in his flesh. Abraham would be father of multitudes. Kings would come from him. All the earth would be blessed through Abraham. The sign? Circumcision. Cutting off of the foreskin. I always imagine Abraham saying, great, covenant, sounds good. You want to cut me where again? They call this the bris in Judaism, short for berit, covenant. It's so important, it has to happen the eighth day after a boy is born, even if that day is a Sabbath or Yom Kippur when no one is supposed to work. Anyone not circumcised will be cut off from Israel, pun very much intended. Now, this has nothing to do with any medical rationale. It is only practiced on boys. Any so-called female circumcision is just mutilation, has no part in God's story. Here's the key to it. Abraham is childless. God is wounding the male part that makes for procreation. Women's procreation is usually bloody, once a month and then in childbirth. In Israel, the male procreative organ is now also bloodied. There is no life without wounding. And Moses has forgotten all of this. He is uncircumcised, or his son is uncircumcised, or both of them are. They should be cut off from Israel. And who is Moses anyway? Raised in Pharaoh's palace, Egyptian name. When Zipporah first meets him, she says, he's an Egyptian. Well, which is it, Moses? Are you an Egyptian as you appear to be? Or are you a Hebrew? I mean, Moses, you're not even circumcised. There's only one law in Israel at this point, circumcision. There's no Ten Commandments, no 603 other laws, just one. And Moses hasn't done it. Like the internet memes say, you only had one job. In Exodus, we're told only those who are circumcised can eat the Passover. Only those cut into the covenant can go to freedom through the sea. Moses can't exactly lead the circumcised if he's not even among them, can he? So it's now or never, Moses. As the union movement 
anthem likes to sing, which side are you on? You can't be on both. As the evangelist likes to ask, are you with Jesus or not? As Exodus asks, Moses, are you with Israel or are you with Pharaoh and his slave economy? Choose now. Moses' uncertain identity may be less surprising than it seems. Religious practice can grow cold. You grow up in church and then go off to university and grow out of it. Lots of us grew out of church going during COVID and haven't grown back in. One family came back here last week for Easter. I asked what brought them back and they said, well, one of you called and said you missed us. And so here we are. (laughs) Sometimes that's all it takes. Please do not jump your friends in the middle of the night like God does, just for the record. Now, in the Bible, Israel actually loses chunks of its Scripture at times, falls out of practice, rediscovers them, and then recommits to their practice. Check it. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8. I pray every day for a revival at our church, that we would fall back in love with Jesus, with His poor that we would tell our friends about that, and that others would get a taste and a vision of Jesus here. Israel seems to have forgotten God at times, and we get that because we do too. But God can't have that from Moses. If Moses is going to lead in Israel, he first has to obey, to follow. He has to be cut in, made part of Israel. With God, sometimes things happen in weird order. In the early church, there was no bishop in the great city of Milan. There was a young man there who was popular in town named Ambrose, and somebody in the church pointed to him and said, Ambrose, bishop. And somebody else said, yeah, Ambrose, bishop. The only problem was Ambrose wasn't baptized. So they baptized him the next day. That usually took years. Then they ordained him the next day. That usually took years. Then they made him bishop the next day. That usually took years. Sometimes with God, time gets weird. Sometimes couples live together in marriage for years before the church gets around to recognizing it. Sometimes people are faithful to God for years before baptism is involved. Young Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor of a struggling church in Montgomery, Alabama, worried about how to grow the youth group and where to find the money to fix the water fountain. And he went to a meeting of church leaders, tired, wished he didn't have to go, but they were looking for a new leader against segregation. And one of them pointed to him and said, you, you talk well, you should be the guy. And someone else pointed to him and said the same. And he went to a meeting, tired, wanting to get through it. He left, leader of a movement that would change the world. Sometimes with God, things happen in surprising order. I'm tempted to say with God, things always happen at a surprising time. Now, this is what I love. Zipporah is not an Israelite. She's not a daughter of Sarah. She's a Midianite, daughter of a Midianite priest. Moses may have forgotten what it meant to be an Israelite in Egypt, but Zipporah, who is not an Israelite, remembers what makes Israel Israel. Midianites are descended from Abraham, but not Sarah. They're sort of kin, sort of enemies, like every rival. 
And being a priest's daughter, Zipporah knows exactly what to do when God throws a tantrum. She gets busy cutting. I don't know about you, but when I hear a sound in the night that startles me, I can't even remember who I am. Zipporah is awakened when God attacks, and she knows exactly what to do. She cuts, speaks, touches, speaks again, and the Savior is saved. When God comes for Moses, Moses whines and complains for two chapters. When God comes for Zipporah's family, she acts in a way that brings salvation. Sometimes outsiders are more faithful than insiders. They remember God's word better than we do. They might even cut it into our flesh for us. So it raises a question. Who do you love from another faith who will drive you more deeply into ours? Very early on in Israel, circumcision becomes a metaphor for other things. Disciplining male sexuality, cutting away sin, removing what's harmful from your life. So Deuteronomy 10.16 says this, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. and Do not be stubborn any longer. Cut away what's harmful. Leave what's holy. Faith isn't always easy and certainly not always pleasant. It can be a bloody affair. And I think we need to brag about this. When I'm out and around in Toronto, I see people with very creative piercings, remarkable tattoos. Those things hurt. And they tell a story. And that's why people want to do them. You're supposed to ask about them. Circumcision tells a story about God. Yeah, we know this is weird, but every Jewish male has done it back to Abraham, and every Jewish male will do it until the kingdom comes. Now, we Christians don't have to do it. We're not Jews. We become part of Abraham's family by faith in Jesus Christ, not by this ritual. In fact, for us, baptism is circumcision. And it's not always painless. The other week when we did some baptisms up here, there was one child who I reached for, and he pulled away from me and toward his mom. And I thought, I don't blame you, buddy. (laughs) You understand, this is difficult. My favorite short story writer, Flannery O'Connor, compares baptism to death by drowning. We die to our old selves and are resurrected something entirely new. And that should be difficult. In some cultures, baptism means your family disowns you, writes you out of the will, won't speak to you anymore. There is a cave we have to explore that's cold and dark. There's also a dangerous face of God, an attack in the night, a fear we must face. I just hope we all have a clever woman around like Zipporah when that happens. Here's what else. Moses and his family are jumped by God in the middle of the night who intends to kill them. Who else is that going to happen to? Pharaoh and all of Egypt. How will the Israelites avert death? With blood smeared on a doorpost. Zipporah touches feet with blood. The Hebrew is nagah, touch. Israel will touch doorposts with blood. The Hebrew is again nagah. 
Zipporah offers a Passover in advance, a staving off of death by blood for Moses and Gershom before it will happen for all the families in Israel. God will see the blood and pass over that house and kill only the Egyptians firstborn. That's a severe story, but it shows who God is. God liberates slaves, dethrones tyrants, and is always on the side of the oppressed. What Moses is about to inflict on Egypt, he first faces in his own family. Someone wise said, you only love God as much as you love your worst enemy. Ouch, that stings. Centuries later, some Egyptians come under that saving blood. The Coptic church in Egypt dates from the earliest apostles. There are half a dozen some odd Coptic Christian churches here in the GTA. Their churches in Egypt are often attacked, and they forgive their attackers. That's serious, bloody faith. But what about this bridegroom of blood business? It's repeated twice in the story in three short verses. You have become a bridegroom of blood, Zipporah says, a kinsman by marriage. There may have been a time in Israel's history where boys were circumcised not in infancy, but right before marriage, bridegroom of blood. Abraham was also circumcised as an adult. Jewish converts today are also circumcised with a little anesthetic these days. Lots of cultures practice either circumcision or some other coming-of-age ritual that involves pain. The Egyptians had a version of it. Islam practices circumcision. Nelson Mandela spoke of his circumcision, of how painful it was, but also how it taught him to face fear and death and the joy at becoming a man. Here's the point. A bridegroom of blood would be in pain on his wedding night, like brides often are. Marriage, sexuality make for life, and they're also risky. Our broader culture tends to think sex is for fun or self-expression. Nope. It's to make two people one. And sometimes it also makes new people. That's dangerous. Women tend to know that. In Israel, a bridegroom of blood knows it's dangerous too. Remember, Exodus is a girl power book because it's also a male humbling one. Now, Christians can be at our worst when we get judgy about sex, but I think we're wise to say that sex should only come with deep commitment, marriage, and openness to new life. So a friend puts it this way, don't couple up with anybody you haven't already merged bank accounts with. Now that sounds more vulnerable than nakedness, more dangerous than circumcision, but good things are costly. Christians above all should know that good things only come with a cost. We celebrated Holy Week last week, carried crosses all over Forest Hill, dropped nails with a plunk in a bucket up here, meditated on Jesus' sacrifice. To follow Jesus means a kind of death, a cutting away of things that make for death. And it can be harsh. You know that strange verse about how it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God? 
Somebody pointed out, you can get a camel through the eye of a needle, it's just going to be awfully hard on the camel. It might not be in the same shape when it's done going through that small space. Jesus will save your life, but first, he will make you absolutely crazy. Love your enemies? Hate your family? Give up all your possessions? Turn the other cheek? Are you serious? This is insane. Yeah, it's a sane insanity, and it's the only way to life. A friend of mine says, folks turn to Jesus thinking he'll solve all their problems. Actually, he won't. He'll give you a whole new set of problems you didn't know you had. Suddenly, you got to worry about all kinds of people you didn't know you had to worry about. Coptic Christians, people of other religions, the poor. You can't say, not my problem. They are your problem. They're Jesus. They're how he meets us. They're kin, and we're commanded to love. See? Hard on the camel. A terrifying attack in the night. A God who saves only by blood. Think with me about Exodus that we've been preaching all year. God is the one who makes a way out of no way, as they say in the black church. First, this happens for Moses. As a Hebrew boy, he should be dead, saved by the midwives and other women, his sister, his mother, Zipporah. We have no faith without brave, quick-thinking, Pharaoh-defying women. Then Moses comes and demands of Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, which people, Moses? Do you mean Egypt? You grew up here. You have our name, our privileges. No, I mean Israel. I'm cut into that covenant now. I might have grown up in this house, Pharaoh, but you are not my father. Abraham is my father, and I'm leaving with all of God's people. Moses brings liberation for all Israel that the women first bring for him. It's not pretty or clean. It's bloody and dangerous, like getting born or getting born again. In our story, God is like this fierce, protective woman from another faith, married to Moses, quick thinking, quick with a blade, holding off a deadly assault. God's also visible in this sign in our flesh, going back to Abraham. God is also seen in the provision of life through blood, in circumcision and a cross. Here's the part that's distinctive for our series. You ready? God is weird. St. Augustine said, if you understand it, it's not God. If you understand it, it is not God. Don't expect to understand. Do expect to be amazed, to be in awe, to be in danger, and then to be saved. Amen.